0: Five.
1: Ten. All right, we should be good. Okay. All right,
0: let's talk about the wrestling. Let me get a swig of water here, real quick.
1: We did some grocery shopping this morning, that was fun.
0: But there was no one there.
1: Uh, It was pretty empty, actually. Now that you think about it. All
0: right, here we go. Welcome to this edition of the Black Shoe Diaries, MacCast. I'm Garrett Carr. He's Clay SauerTeague. Clay, how are you?
1: Slightly less sleepy than I was a couple days ago, uh, back from St. Louis. Um, And wrapping up NCAA coverage. Six champions. Six championships in seven years, uh, and, and kind of glad to get uh, back on the horse here.
0: Yeah, uh, we're recording this um, Wednesday. It is exactly 3 p.m., and as I just said, that it turned to 3.01 uh, Wednesday afternoon here. Uh, yeah, so I think we kind of made it sound like we were going to podcast after the finals. That would be up Sunday morning after that, that ended up not happening.
1: Yeah, um, you'll have to excuse us here. We got out of Scott Trade was probably around midnight-ish, and I think Garrett and I finished transcribing, 11, yeah. finished, finished transcribing quotes and getting stuff up there uh, that night around 3 a.m. Was, was the time I, we finished up our post for the site. So it was a, a couple of long nights out there in St. Louis.
0: Yeah, but great fun. Would 10 of 10, would recommend, will do again next year.
1: Yeah, for any of you who uh, have not been to... And then NCAA tournament, um, this was actually my first my first trip down. I would highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, and I know a lot of people that I've talked to that have, like, texted me about tickets that have, like, never been. Like, they don't even go to, like, Penn State's home matches. And they're like, yo, I'm buying tickets right now for NCAAs. Like, am I okay to set up high or, like, all this stuff. So uh, demand next year is going to be very high.
1: Yeah, we'll kind of, I, I don't want to rush through this, but but want to get to talking some wrestling. Um, one of the things that I had picked up on this weekend was that most people that go um, are return attendees. Um, and I don't think that's ninety like eight. I don't think that's a coincidence. Um, we had to get a chance to to get out Friday and Saturday night and meet up with a lot of people in the wrestling community and kind of have some drinks and hang out. And it's just it's a really really good atmosphere with a lot of really good people. It's um, just a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: Clay and I were chilling with. Uh, some Olympians Friday night, no big deal, you know, just uh, normal stuff uh, from from people famous from podcasting. But uh, yeah, it was great. Um, I mean, I've never heard anyone be like, "Yeah, I went to NCA's and it was great, and I never wanted to do it again." Like just one time thing. Everyone's like, "I went, and I'm not missing another one for the next 25 years."
1: Yeah, and it, it makes it a little easier when you're a Penn State fan, and <laughs> again, you're raising your yeah. sixteen title in seven years.
0: Yeah, it's uh it was something to behold um you know we, we we put in a lot of a lot of uh content breaking down individual matches before the finals um so we're going to kind of try to stay away from that, but you know we're definitely going to break down the finals here then we're going to talk about some overall big picture stuff Penn State what this means because um, we didn't do a lot of that stuff and then of course clay uh the big news um, from yesterday when we' were recording this the Gavin Teasdale uh, flip from Iowa to Penn State we're also going to touch on that at the end of the show
1: yeah um Without further ado, I think we're gonna we'll start at 125 here. We'll we'll, we'll round out with Penn State. Um, I know our focus is typically Penn State, but I, I think we we want to touch on all the finals here today. For those of you who who didn't get a chance to watch, and even for those of you who did and kind of want to rehash it,
0: yeah. And this is going to be a long show, I assume, Clay. So uh, sit tight, everybody.
1: Yeah, starting at uh, one, we'll start at 125. Then as you said. Um, we had... Well,
0: let's just start at 197. Let's uh, start at 197. We, so that's, so that's where we started. We start the at
1: 197. Uh, the, the broadcast started at 197 for those of you who watched at, uh, on ESPN. And the first finals match was at 197. Had a hometown boy, or home state boy, uh, Jaden Cox of Missouri in St. Louis, going for his third national title against second-seeded Brett Farr of Minnesota.
0: Yeah. Uh, Cox dominated this one a lot more. Even on the scoreboard too, a lot more than a lot of people think. I think... You and I talked about it. We thought that the most likely scenario would be a dominating win for Jaden, like two to three points, But like, he do- where he like, controlled the whole match. But he controlled the whole match, and he- it was more than two or three points. Uh, he wrestled really well. It was great to see a true champion and a true, like, rep- great representative of the sport, in my opinion. Uh, Jaden Cox to go out like that in front of a home crowd. Um, but you watch him wrestle, and it, re- it makes you wonder sometimes how he, how he isn't a four-time champ.
1: Yeah, it's kind of weird to think about because of how dominant he's been. And even though we said the, the score doesn't always reflect that, one of the things you saw from Jaden that you kind of picked up on his trip to the Olympics was he's a very cerebral wrestle, wrestler. He does not put himself in bad positions very often. He takes smart shots. He finishes it at an extremely high rate. And it's very difficult to finish shots on him. And in the match against Far, you can kind of see... What separates him from the rest of the pack at one hundred and ninety-seven?
0: Yeah, I mean he he he's such a complete wrestler right now. Um, I I mean, God got a great international future ahead of him, but uh, football might have something to say about that.
1: Yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see um, how that plays out. He's talked before about wanting to, to to take a year to play football at Missouri. I don't particularly see it happening. Um, and it sounds like it sounds like really a, do as, think it's as that develops, um, there's some talk that Missouri's football coach has, has promised him a tryout and, and, and kind of to get a look over here, but it's less so that he wants to commit a scholarship to him, especially in the SEC. I mean, these guys, most of the guys playing on that team are guys who have now been doing this at a high level for years on end. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. I imagine he'll end up sticking with wrestling and uh, as a member of uh, going after a spot on the world team next year.
0: Yeah, I want Jaden to play football. I think it'd be really fun.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I've learned not to doubt Jaden Cox in anything, but I'm very interested in seeing where he would fit there. Yeah, so
0: let's go to 285 here. Uh, Kyle Snyder beats Connor Medbury with uh, torn ligaments in his ribs. Uh, only six three though, which he had torn ligaments in his ribs. Um, yeah, Snyder's good. Another kid that you're like, I can't believe he's not a four. Did we get
1: a? Uh, uh, did we get official uh, official diagnosis on that? Um, yeah, I, uh, I knew he talked about uh, um, having a, a left left side of the rib cage had an injury.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty confident saying that it was ligaments. Because if it's a broken rib, you can't really do, like you can't really screw around with that. So, so that like that's how you get punctured lungs. So, um, yeah, I'm um, gonna guess very in a very educated fashion, it was uh, it was torn ligaments in the ribs, torn cartilage.
1: Regardless, Snyder comes out against uh, a guy in Mayberry who's outweighing him by 40 pounds um, and really just puts on an exhibition. Um, Takes 6-3 victory. The first takedown, he gets in deep on on a double and has Medbury kind of draped over the top and leading all his weight into him. And, again, with the injured ribs, he's able to pretty much deadlift uh, all of Medbury's weight and take him down for two. And that was one of the most impressive feats of strength I have ever seen from wrestlers. It's like guys like Brock Lesnar in the early 2000s from Minnesota where he was just kind of tossing guys around. Yeah,
0: that was amazing. Um. Yeah, Kyle's good. Um, he, does, he he has this amazing quality which really helps him even more so in folk style ref, wrestling heavyweight than it does in freestyle. Where, like, I mean, there are like there are guys at this weight like Medbury who's like a decent athlete and a lot bigger than Snyder. And like, you would think this guy, these guys would give him problems by like locking him up into ties and like getting into favorable situations where they can use their weight. And like, he he never finds himself in that situation.
1: Now, one of the things that Snyder does is that separates him from the rest of the field, not just in NCAA's blaze, but, but internationally, it's why, part of why he's an Olympic champion, he finishes his shots very, very quickly and very smoothly. So yeah. you don't really have a chance to counter. You don't see him, if if you watch him wrestle internationally at, at 97 kilos, you don't see him get cross-lifted or reversed very often or taken over to his back because he's just so quick and so smooth at finishing, and you have to belly out almost immediately.
0: Yeah, and that's one of it. But like, I mean, like, you know, you'd think in this tournament like, people like, would be looking to throw him all the time, especially like, if you're a bigger heavyweight. And like, I'm sure that that's people's like, – some strategy like, well, maybe I can throw this guy. I've got 40 pounds on him. But he never finds himself in a situation to get thrown, unlike a well, certain 165-pounder we'll talk about one later. One of the advantages
1: that, that Snyder has down at, at kind of 220-ish pounds, he's also not the tallest guy, so he has a very low center of gravity. Yeah. Uh, you look at Medbury, I think Medbury at least had three, four inches on him. So Snyder's hips are almost always below Medbury's hip level. So in order to throw him, uh, unless you're looking trip, which, I mean, he keeps his hips back so well. If, in order to throw Snyder, you need to drop your hips, and it's very hard to get below him and get any leverage.
0: Yeah, Kuhn, not to look too far ahead of next year, but Coon snyder will be a lot of fun next year, I think.
1: Yeah, there's definitely an interesting dynamic there in terms of how Kuhn's progressed on... The Greco scene internationally. I mean, I don't know if if I give anybody much of a chance against Snyder. Um, no, but it's gonna be fun because
0: Kuhn's just gonna look to throw. Kuhn at him for least seven
1: have a different look for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Coon Kuhn, Coon's just gonna look to throw him for seven minutes, like, and he can. I mean, He's huge and like good technically at hand fighting. So, like, it'll be fun though.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one one to keep an eye on it for looking ahead to next year.
0: So let's go to 125 here. Darren Cruz, Ethan Lezak, all all PA District 11 final. Cruz with a great run to the tournament, beats Lezak. I did not see that coming. I thought Ethan Lezak would be a tough out. But the one thing we've got to talk about from this match is what in the creation were... And actually, I'll, I'll go with the popular meme right now. What in tarnation was the Minnesota coaches doing when they didn't have Lezak take top to start
1: the second period. Yeah, I've got a, a couple things just to – we'll circle back to that really briefly. Um, Garrett and I were speaking before the podcast, a couple statistics here. The last three years you've had six different finalists at 125. Um, two years ago you had Tomasello and Zeke Moise. Last year you had Gilman and Lewis. This year you had Lezak and Cruz. Three of those six are District 11. Two of those six in Cruz and Moisey are from Bethlehem Catholic. Four of those six with Cruz, Moisey, Lezak, and Megalutis are from Pennsylvania. So some interesting numbers there. Um, also, Cruz, um, we, we had talked about it before we circle back to the final. Um, Garrett, rightfully so, has told me all year that he, he felt um, Gilmore was susceptible. And one of the things that other people had touched on at, at the time were Um, and that he had mentioned all year was he felt he kind of slows down his pace in in bigger matches. And one of the things that I felt when why I was so confident in in Gilman was I think while that may be the case, um, in previous years with Tomasello, and I mean, I think he got caught against Moisey, but in Tomasello and Mega Lewis, I felt that they were at high enough level that they were able to capitalize on that. And I didn't necessarily feel that with, with Cruz, I didn't think that he had that level of game that it was going to make that much of a difference. And, I mean, he completely showed over the last two or three matches in this tournament that he's able to take it to a next level. Well,
0: here's the thing about Gilman, and this plays into my whole thing of, well, he slows it down in big matches. I think he, he so thoroughly dominates bad competition that the perception of him was that he was better than he actually was. So, like, let's compare him to Jason Knoll, okay? You'd have to agree that against, let's say, the 50th ranked kid in the country, Gilman and Nolf are going to wrestle very similar styles, right? Yeah. I mean, take down, let you up, okay? But the difference is when Nolf wrestles the number two kid in the country, he's still wrestling that same style because he's still so much better than the other kids. Whereas Gilman knows he isn't. He can't wrestle that style. So when it came to the Suriato match or years before, whether it was in Megalunus, his pace his pace significantly slowed. Well you look you at what I'm you saying? look at
1: Gilman's match and albeit he fell behind against Lizak, early in the year against Lizak, I mean I don't, I don't know whether it was a gas tank thing, but he got to the third period and was still well, chose neutral down eight points and was still going at that same pace. And maybe it was because he was behind. But you saw it, yeah, you, he's saw behind, it you saw it again against Piccinini twice. No three times this year. Uh, he wrestled him twice in the NCAA tournament, and he just ran through a high-level guy in Piccinini.
0: Well, I don't know if that's true. Uh, Piccinini took him over for bad points. But um, I, like my point is, like, I didn't think the gap was that big between Gilman and, and the rest of the wrestlers if you looked at how he wrestled against the other top guys. So, like, I, like Darren Cruz might not be able to – Beat the pulp out of Nick Piccinini. Like, Gilman can. But when Gilman would get on the mat with Cruz, I was pretty pretty confident, or whether it was Suriano or Dance, whatever, that Gilman wasn't going to push the pace. He's never had his whole career in big matches when the match is close. Um, and and that, I mean, I thought he would win the match against Cruz on a late takedown or something like that. I didn't think he'd lose it. But and I said all year long, and it becomes really evident when we talk about Isaiah Martinez soon, when you consistently wrestle close matches, it's just the law of averages. They're not always yeah. going to go your way. I guess, having wrestler.
1: seen Gilman um, with the win, I, I believe Did he ever win over Nico last year. But he, I know he definitely had a win over Thomasello. And I didn't feel like yeah, summer, I didn't I feel like Cruz was really near the level. At least when, when Tomasello was down one twenty five, I didn't think Cruz was kind of anywhere near the level of those two.
0: Well, he's so good. To, I mean, he's so quick. He's so flexible um, And that's always given Gilman trouble Was finishing shots On Nico In the splits and and, and and Cruz Cruz will get into The splits as well um, You know I I didn't mind The matchup for Cruz um, And I think it helped too that I think Cruz wanted Gilman um, They'll tip of here I, I I was in line At the hotel On Wednesday When I checked in Right behind uh, Cruz's mom Darren Cruz's mom And we were talking about it And she was just saying Yeah you know Darren really wants to wrestle uh, Gilman Like he thinks Gilman's been running His mouth all year And like You get to that point Where you, you focus on that And like that can be A big motivation I just think For Gilman It was another opponent Which I mean That that way of thinking Also has merit But I, I think Cruz Had really taken Time Especially when he saw the, When the bracket came out Of looking at Gilman's Strengths and weaknesses And breaking him down Whereas I think Maybe Gilman might have Focused more on some Other wrestlers Or just thought You know I do my thing, and that'll be enough. Which he he he's good, but he's not that good. Yeah, it was
1: definitely a, a level from Darian Cruz that I mean, we saw it in high school when, in PIAA state titles uh, or state championships. That this was the highest level. That, that, I mean, Cruz on the biggest stage to this point. I mean, in his, his last opportunity, I believe he's a senior. Uh,
0: I think he's a redshirt junior. Um, okay, well. Is Randy's a his, senior, his, his third or fourth brother, th-
1: opportunity at, at easy the easy tournament easy. was able to raise his level, so I think the highest level we've seen Darian Cruz in college.
0: Yeah, but Clay, let's talk about this Lezak decision because you and I had had a, a pretty good conversation about what was going to happen here on the choice um, before the finals, probably around like four four thirty, five o'clock, um, Central Time. We we had really broken it down and gone through like all the options of like, okay, what if the score is this? What if the times this? Who wins the coin flip first? We, we had a pretty much a chart made up of who should do what. And in no way did our chart ever say that in a 0-0 match going into the second period and Ethan Lezak wins the flip or, or whether Cruz wins the flip into first. But Ethan Lizak has choice in the second period of that situation. He should ever take bottom. I mean, that, that was a ridiculously bad decision.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know what to say because I have no clue what they were thinking um. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it makes for a bad recording here because I don't have any answers. Um, everyone that we've talked to has said the same thing. They met previously at the Southern Scuffle. It was an eight nothing major decision for Lee In which case, in which point he was able to pick up riding time point and turn cruise. Um, he turned everyone else's. He's incredibly impressive. From that top position, I, I was I'm speechless. It makes no sense to me.
0: I mean, you, you, you'd have to say that in the whole tournament, all weights like Zane's probably the best on top, and then Leezak's probably number two.
1: Yeah, I like, mean, Leezak's up there with. I mean, I, again, I think you put Zayn, Leezak, and like Seth Gross right there. And, and when you talk about guys. Obviously, Zayn has a little more from Daniel neutral. Daniel Lewis,
0: Daniel Lewis, too. But like, even
1: looking at turns. I mean, Lewis doesn't turn the rate of, like, a Gross or Lezak. Yeah. Um, Zane at least, if, if, if he was in a tight contest, you could understand it because he's probably going to be the best wrestler in every match from neutral. But Lezak, I mean, yeah, there, there's thing. three or four guys. I mean, there's guys that are better than him from neutral, and Cruz is at least his equal, at very least his equal from neutral. But Lezak should have a, a strong or a heavy advantage from top it was it was a very weird choice now and see why you wouldn't give yourself an opportunity in your best position, knowing full well that there was yeah. no chance the cruise was going to take down
0: yeah, I mean th- like that was just, could it be its only opp- like that was a sure opportunity he had to get to his t- his best position um uh, and and it's it's much so much less of a risk too if you do it in the in the second period and it doesn't work out, and the guy gets out because then you have you have all this time to. React and especially when you know he's not Going on bottom to start the third Period so you're going to get three and a half minutes On your feet to get a takedown here Um, It just didn't make a lot of sense And especially when you think of Cruz As as an undersized 125 pounder I've read people saying he was The smallest kid at the weight in the whole bracket I I didn't personally Look at every kid to to see that but I mean He is little (laughs) for sure Um, You know at match time Conservatively you'd have to say Lezak Probably had 10 pounds on him I don't – I mean, it's crazy that, like, between Lezak and the coaches, no one was like, huh, maybe we should go in our best position.
1: Yeah, especially when I, I believe they took top. Maybe I'm incorrect. Yeah. When I believe they took they, top oh, at the scuffle. They did an tournament Well, yeah, I believe, it, well, I, I believe at the scuffle when the two met and he had a you know, victory, they, they took top. I – I'm sorry, people. I can't give you an answer here because it makes – there's no – my thought process that, that I have that that makes sense to me,
0: but it's bad. I mean, it's definitely the worst coaching decision of the weekend, right?
1: It's one of the worst I've seen. I mean, I, I'm sure there was were other, were other really bad decisions, maybe in smaller spots, but in a spot that big, I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty egregious
0: relative relative to the stakes. Definitely the worst.
1: But again, Cruz comes out. Lizak uh, I believe, was up one nothing after that escape in the second period. And Cruz comes out and, and goes to work. I mean, he gets two takedowns, I believe, in, in the rest of the match. So there was work left to do for Cruz, and, and he really took care of business. And nice to see Lehigh. I think he had, Lehigh,
0: think he had three takedowns. Yeah, Lehigh
1: picks up their um, first champ since 2011 was Zach Ray. So nice to see that for, yeah. for that program and for Pat Santoro. Yes. Let's go to
0: 133 here. Corey Clark. Corey Clark. Uh, and Seth Gross here, of course. Seth Gross, the transfer from Iowa against Corey Clark, the senior. And uh, on this podcast, we are not the biggest fans of Iowa, especially me. And I, at this time, at this very moment, am, am pretty much persona non grata among Hawkeye fans. Uh, that's okay. Um, but um, I do really like Corey Clark. And I, I, I'm happy to see him beat Seth Gross here. It's, it's very
1: funny. There's um – um. This weird, uh, again, what happens when you you win a lot, and and I get some of it's uh, attitude with Iowa, but when you win a lot, people tend to root against you. And I get it with Iowa. People are, because you see with Penn State where they're tired of seeing the same old faces, but everyone, I mean, I think people like Seth Gross and South Dakota State because Chris Bono seems like a genuinely good guy, and it's nice to see the program uh, continue to grow. Um, But a lot of people really seem to rally around Corey Clark here, regardless of program yeah. fandom.
0: Yeah, he was a yeah, he was a big I mean, I think more Penn State fans are rooting for him than they were rooting for Gross. I mean, a good, good win for Clark. Not really much to talk about here in this match, um, other than the fact that all year long, I've said that people need to get out on bottom to win national championships. And here's an example. Uh, Clark takes Gross down with like a minute, some left. Uh, to make it 4-3 Clark, and Groves can't get out from bottom and loses 4-3. Got to be able to get out from bottom.
1: Yeah, Clark uh, was really, really working that bar half and almost had, I think he almost had two at one point, if I recall correctly, was almost up 6-3. But just a really, really gutty performance by a kid who's, I think he said dealing with a wrist injury, uh, has a torn labrum, which he disclosed um, with his shoulder popping out a couple times that I'm sure he's going to have repaired. So just a, a really really tough performance by a kid who's now gone fifth, second, second, first in his four trips to the NCAA tournament. So a really remarkable career for, for Corey Clark and nice to see him cap it on the top step of the podium.
0: Yeah, let's go to one forty one here. Dean Hile, George D Camillo. This was yawn. This was like a yawn fest. Um, it's, it's, I mean Dean Hile good. He's just boring. Um, I mean, he's a lot better than DiCamillo, so going into this, I was pretty confident in Dean uh, winning this match.
1: Yeah. I said before the the tournament that I wouldn't bet against Dean Heil, and yet I did it anyways. And he's now a two-time champion after finishing fourth his first year. He is undefeated over two years. No,
0: that's not true. He lost once last year.
1: Oh, one loss in two years. Lost to Joey Ward. Now, um, undefeated champion this year. Going to be the favorite going into next year. Whether I mean you like it or not, and I'm sure people are going to pick against him. But you're looking at a guy yeah, but, who could go fourth, first, first, first in four that's years. Good. That's.
0: I mean, there's only <laughs> that's there's.
1: Good. That's good. Less than yeah. two or,
0: twenty-five guys have done. There,
1: that. Yeah, there's there's less than twenty, I believe, guys who have won. Three national championships. And it just it doesn't feel like it watching Heil. And he, there's still, a, we, we saw this year, there's a long way to go before he gets that done. But you're looking at a guy who, if he's able to do that, is an Oklahoma State all time great and, and probably one of wrestling's all time greats in terms of achievements. And I think it's about time for the wrestling world to kind of come around on Dean Heil and say, you're looking at and a really, really outstanding wrestler.
0: Yeah, like. Certainly, over the last couple of years, I've been like not rooting for Dean Howell because uh, of the style. But like Clay can attest, by the end of the weekend, I was a Dean Howell truther. Like I was like, this kid just isn't going to lose. Like we should all just come to grips with it.
1: He's just, I think, I think what annoys some people is he has the ability to push the pace and shoot a bit more on offense. We we seen, I mean, we saw the first the first shot he had was a gorgeous high cross against Deacon Miller and finished quickly. Um, and he's a bit more calculated than that. Um, his conversion percentage on shots he gets in on deep is unreal because he only takes yeah, he real. only takes smart shots. Um, and he's just he's a different. He's an acquired taste, I think, is what I would call Dean Heil. But yeah, but uh, yeah, I he think is. he's a guy we probably don't appreciate as much as we should as wrestling no. fans.
0: He's got to start scoring some bonus points, though. Jeepers creepers, two straight years of just of no bonus points in the tournament for an NCAA champ It's kind of crazy. Uh, let's go to one forty nine here, um, and now Clay, we're going to start the. Uh, I don't know if someone's really come up with a nickname of what happens over the next five weights. Someone please should come up with a nickname, um, because it deserves something.
1: Yeah, something better than the Fantastic Five or Fabulous Five. Get, get creative, people.
0: Yeah. Um, and the first one here is Zane Rutherford against LaVon Mays of Missouri. Um, Mays comes out and gets the first takedown. Of the crowd gets kind of excited. I looked at Clay and said, That's not good for LaVon Mays. <laughs> and it was not.
1: Look, Micah Jordan already shows you what happens. If you get the first takedown against St. Rutherford, it doesn't end well for you. And I know that's counterintuitive. You want to score. You're very excited. Don't yeah. – for your own health, maybe you should think that one through. Um, Rutherford puts up 18 consecutive points after the initial two-point takedown. Uh, gets the tech late in the third. Um, has a number of turns uh, with both the power half and a bow and arrow. Um, And that bow and arrow is probably, that that has to be one of the most uncomfortable positions to be put in 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 the sport. Guys just look so uncomfortable down there. But um, Rutherford was, what, nothing sort of dominant. He just goes, tech, 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 fall, tech in his five matches.
0: Yeah, not enough falls probably for his liking, but.
1: To uh, an NCAA title. So, I mean. What, you're looking at, we set the over-under at? 26.5 points, I think we said before the tournament? Yeah, he
0: had 28. And he ended
1: up with 28, so that's just, it's he's ridiculous. And That's the good stuff, um, 28 team points. That's the named outstanding wrestler uh, of the tournament, named most dominant wrestler, I believe, of, of the season of the tournament. And
0: Second straight year for both. No, Snyder won outstanding. Probably,
1: that, that probably one. going to be uh, your Hodge Trophy winner.
0: Yeah, um... Yeah, not that it was going to change the outcome of the match here, Clay. But another really strange coaching decision. Um, it's it's six uh, two going into the third period. Um, Mays has choice, and they go underneath him. Um, and and he didn't get up again after that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I, it was kind of strange. I think you you kind
1: I, of touched on it. Um, I don't know that it would have changed anything or. or prolonged anything, really. But um, I think at that point, um, the Mizzou coaches had had an idea that they were in a bit of trouble, regardless of what position they picked.
0: Right, but let's go neutral. I mean, don't just put your wrestler... I mean, what good is going to happen down there?
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask... At least from
0: from neutral, he can try to hit something big or something.
1: Yeah, uh, like I said, I think he's probably in trouble... No matter where he picks. Neutral. Yeah, he's Neutral, gonna loop, they're thinking but. he's going to get taken down. Uh, bottom, he's, he's probably going to get turned. So it's just yeah, but I mean, like, a really bad position for Maze to be in.
0: By going on bottom, like, they turned the third period into an infomercial about Zane Rutherford. Like, it was like, and this is why he's the best. Watch him use three different kinds of turns to score 12 near-fall points. Well, my question would be, and if they
1: picked neutral, how quickly do you think he would have ended up being taken down and turned anyways? Again, nothing's a given, Uh, but...
0: I don't know, but I mean, it wouldn't have been as fast as it happened when he took top or a bottom. I mean...
1: Well, I have to imagine they thought he was going to be able to get out, and they were incorrect.
0: Well, that was... That's a bad... That's a bad thought.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't don't know that... They weren't going to do anything no matter what position they did. And everyone in that arena knew that he was either going to pick neutral and get taken down quickly, or pick... Down and probably knock it out. I mean, tack, pick top at that point. Who knows?
0: Yeah, don't pick bu- down. That's that's incorrect. Um, oh, the weird thing about this match was that after Zayn's first turn, um, like Zayn's like sitting on top of Maze essentially, he, like clears his hands for the official to see, and he's not giving him the four Neo Fall points, like because like Zayn wants to go turn him again, and. So it was so strange because then Zane's like, whatever. So he goes back in, assuming like, okay, he's like, okay I got to pin him now. I don't know. So he goes back in, like lays back down, goes to work on another turn. And then literally as he's taking Maze over, the ref like gives the four for the last turn. And then he also gets like four quick ones there. So like the score on the scoreboard went from like 6-2 to 14-2 in like 10 seconds.
1: It was a really weird um, kind of way that played out. We saw it before where Zane's been on top of a guy and the referees almost made – I mean, the referees made him put his hands on his hips to show that to show that he's released the hold. So it's – I don't know what some of these guys are waiting for, but that one was pretty clear.
0: Yeah. Uh, it was so strange. Um, but, yeah, good job, Zane. You're good. Woohoo. Glad to have you for another year. Um, nothing too unexpected um, in his run except uh, the pin over Sorensen was kind of unexpected um, just, I mean, because he pinned him. Um but yeah, uh and also I would have said he had more than one pin. Um but yeah, good job Zane. Um uh, keep doing you. Um let's go to one fifty seven here, Jason Nolf, uh against Joey Lavalley. Uh play unfortunately for the last time of this folk style season. What did Jason Nolf do?
1: Nolf uh kinda put it on Joey Lavalley and I was actually a bit surprised that the gap wasn't a bit wider seeing considering the way that yeah. the third period started, but uh Thirteen to five major decision to earn his first national championship.
0: Yeah, fourteen to six there. Fourteen um, to six, counting's hard. According to what I'm looking at says, but it could be wrong. Uh, yeah, the guy sitting next to Clay and I, uh, the finals. I don't think Clay was there. I think Clay was going to get quotes from Zane, but in that break, he was like, "I think this is going to be close." And I was like, "I didn't want to be rude, but I was like, kind of like, I'm not so sure about that." Um, I mean, I think LaValle wrestled well to keep it to 14-6. to 6.
1: Yeah, I, there's nobody close to the guy in the weight, and we said it before before the tournament started that there was no reason to believe that anybody would come close, and we said that he would probably bonus his way through the tournament, and I said that thinking Michael Kemmerer yeah. was going to be in the final, but, um, he's just really, really far ahead of everybody, particularly from neutral, um... This one was actually, I believe, 13-6 to 6 at one point. Uh, maybe it was 14-6. I don't remember what he got a riding type point with. About a minute to go, and, La- and LaValle didn't look like he wanted to be out there anymore. I actually thought it was going to be be a bigger margin of victory, but um, I don't see anybody at that weight class who's challenging Nolf really anytime soon. Um, I'm excited to see yeah. what he does on the freestyle circuit. It sounds like he's going to go to the World Team Trials at 70 kilograms, which is... 154.4 and kind of ch- try to challenge James Green. Um, Who we could definitely that could be a really really exciting matchup. And I'm curious to see he's going to have to make some adjustments from from his matchups with um, Mark Hall at 74 kilos. But he's going to have a bit more advantage now, not not being um, undersized. And hopefully he's made some tactical adjustments where he's, he hasn't put himself on. on his back opens himself up to, to some turns and some crotch lifts. Um, but that's definitely something to keep an eye on because I think it will give you a, a better idea of where Nolf's at because it's really tough to, to gauge him. Um, because one, I think he, I think he's stinks. pretty outstanding, but, but I think there's maybe really only two or three guys who – I mean, I, there's not really guys who are close to his level.
0: No. Yeah, that weight really stinks. Um, but – part of it is people don't want to be in that way. I mean, they'd rather go up. Or, or I mean, he's just, I mean, he's that good. He's kind of repellent for people to be at 157. Um, yeah, I mean, he puts it on LaValle here. Um, at one point in the third period, it looked like LaValle was hashtag broke and like, Nolfe was going to take him down like eight times in 70 seconds. It didn't happen, but I kind of wish it would have. That would have been kind of cool. Because um, at one point, it did look like that. Like,
1: yeah, LaValle got a man. second win, like, about a bit of a second wind with about, like, 40, 45 seconds to go in the match.
0: Yeah. Wait, his stall? No, I think he had two going into the third period. Or, like, two... No, 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 he, yeah, he, he, like, he got, he got a second it. wind. Oh, second wind. Okay, I thought he was a second warning, I was going to say. Because I remember looking over to you and was like, he, he might stall him out of this match going into the third period.
1: Yeah, LaValle definitely, he and, picked up the pace definitely over the last minute or so of the match.
0: Yeah. Um cool uh we expected nolf to win good job uh good job jason uh get the national championship clay our first national champion at the fifth weight class in history
1: yeah i think we could kind of i mean those of you who paid attention throughout the year kind of felt it coming with nolf um it's just gonna be interesting to see how he progresses over the next couple of years um if anybody comes up from the weight class, I don't think anybody's going to be beating him. But I'd like to see somebody. I'd like to see how maybe a camera progresses and see if he can improve from his first full year to his second full year. And at least may, may, make the matchup maybe a little more interesting.
0: Yeah, but I doubt it. Um, Nolf's going to get better too. I don't think he's really particularly that close to his full potential yet. Um, so yeah, Jason, good job. And Nate, Jason finished with what twenty-seven and a half team points, twenty-seven team points,
1: uh, something like that. I believe I he know. went. Major in the oh. final, major in, in the semifinals, had a fall in the quarterfinals, a tech fall in his first two matches. So you're looking at five, six, seven bonus points. So 27 points overall yeah. in the tournament.
0: Yeah, they have at 27 points, which that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, through his first two years, he's at uh, he's at um 49 or 49 and a half bonus points. He's he's got a 49 a points. He's got a yeah, he's got a real shot to hit 100 t points.
1: Yeah, I think that right now if you set the over at 100, um, a lot of us would probably take, probably take, take the take over.
0: Me. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, Clay, um, this next match, um, we have a lot of talking about to do uh, because if like, you were to write a, a summary of this podcast for the season, especially the last two months, you and I had gone back and forth a lot on – our perceptions of Isaiah Martinez and uh, rubber hit the road on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, my
1: perception of Vincenzo Joseph changed a lot more than my perception of Isaiah Martinez. Um, okay, for those of you who didn't watch, um, you should have by now. Vincenzo Joseph picked – Yeah,
0: if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched it, like, that wouldn't even make it – like you're in the wrong
1: place. leading – um, I believe it was 6-5 with, with a uh, even of riding time. Uh, start third period, uh, gets into double overs and hits an inside trip and throws Martinez to his back for the fall at uh, the five twenty five mark and uh, wins his first national championship, becomes the first uh, freshman national champion in, in Penn State history. Uh, Stops Martinez's shot at four-timing and really... Um, Kind of cements himself in, in that upper tier, which we all kind of knew. But I, that was the best match I've ever seen. Vincenzo Joseph wrestle. I mean, they talked about it for those of you who listen to Flow Wrestling Radio. Um, they talked about Joseph being a top recruit, but there are he he was not a surefire thing like many considered Mark yeah. Hall to be, or even I mean, Zayn had wrestled a couple matches with. with Anthony Ashton going back and forth in, in high school. Uh, Jason Nolf was wrestling close with Joey McKenna in high school. Um, you saw Chenzo lost to Isaiah White at, I believe it was either, it was not that I believe it was Junior Worlds, or Junior Nationals lost to Isaiah White. So, Vincenzo of Joseph was a blue chip recruit, but he was far from a sure thing and he just improved throughout the season.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, all, good job, Chenzo. He was the better wrestler in that match. Even if you take out the throw, he had two nice takedowns. Um, and Martinez had one takedown, and it was a shot that Joseph almost finished, anyways. Um, Joseph really, really abused Aymar with pace in this match. Um, uh, his, his pace was just so much better than Martinez. Um, Martinez was worn down physically, he was worn down mentally. Um, I mean I Chenzo was going to win this match Even if he hadn't planted him on his back um, That's just where the match was going um, Probably The most famous I would have to say the most famous win In the history of Penn State wrestling um, I'm not, not trying to be prisoner of the moment But I would have to say that His win over Martinez was Is the most famous win in the history of Penn State wrestling.
1: It's definitely up there. Uh, there was a couple of matches, I believe, in, first, in, in Kale's first year, the one that clinched the, uh, the his first title um, would be up there. Um, it's, it's going the other way, the Bubba Jenkins-David Taylor match. Uh, not to bring up bad memories, I know it's one that sticks out, but um, v- Vincenzo really impressed me with his ability to clear ties. He, he struggled a bit to do that. Um, the first two matchups with, with Martinez. Was able to clear the ties here. Um, rode really hard. Uh, again, um, there's something about PA High School Wrestling where you're just born with, with fantastic forward pressure. Um, and the mat wrestling was really, really impressive throughout this tournament by, by Vincenzo. But we saw it yeah, when, so when Rubber hit the road. And even though he was up six five, the inside trip he used, the inside trip to beat Daniel Lewis with, with short time. He used the inside trip to get the match-winning takedown against t- uh, um, Logan, Massa, Logan with, Massa with, I believe, under a minute. It may have even been under 30 seconds. And beat the inside trip to to finish it off here. And for those of you who have not seen Ben's Gas film room on BlackShoeDiaries.com on the move, I highly recommend it. He really breaks down just how technically sound. Uh, Joseph was, it was a picture-perfect inside trip.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you believe that sports are about, like, 10-second, like, what separates, like, the good from the greats are 10-second bursts of, like, pure brilliance, then, like, this move is, uh, like, is a good point of evidence for you because, I mean, Chenson was going to win this match, but, I mean, what he did was... Ten seconds of just pure brilliance.
1: Yeah, um, it's just it's how you drill it. Um, I know Shinsu has probably seen it being in a room with Mark Hall, who has a nice inside trip of his own. He used it against Valencia to to lock up that match. Uh, he's used it in the freestyle against Logan Massa to win an eleven ten match, I believe, in uh, the Olympic team trials. Um, so he's seen it before, and I mean he's strong. He was strong in the position beforehand and I I think it really helps that that Chenzo's been able to to see a bunch of different things thrown at him and he's just, again, in the presence of other fantastic wrestlers, um, made himself comfortable in some otherwise uncomfortable positions and it showed in this match.
0: Yeah. Let's talk... I mean, there's so much to unpack in this match, Clay. I mean... it, It... I had said all year that Martinez was liable to go to his back, and I think anyone who really—I mean, I don't think that thought was one of my more like profound thoughts. I think that if people really paid attention, they knew that about Isaiah Martinez, whether they want to admit it or not. It's true, but I mean, it was just such a shock to see it happen when it when it happened, where it happened on the mat because it was pretty much right in the center of the mat, and like for there to be so little to do. Freymar, when it happened, he was pretty much SOL as he was going to yeah. his back. Um, There's a, it, it just happened so fast.
1: A few things to touch on, and it's really tough to just about break down the whole match. One, um, Martinez got his first shot by getting to his lefty underhook and kind of getting, getting in behind with a throw-by. He wasn't, from there on out, he was not able to get to, to that lefty underhook, which you have to think about. Um, otherwise, Vincenzo gets gets a tying takedown. We go into the second period tied 3-3. Um, I believe Martinez gets out at the beginning of beginning of the second, and Vincenzo, again, is able to throw him by, get, get, get cut back, and get a 2. Uh, goes up 5-4. Build a riding time up to a minute and 6 seconds before Martinez escapes to 5-5. We go into the third period with it 5-5. Um... Chenzo with five or six seconds of riding time and has choice. Yeah, he goes yeah, down and I think both of us figured he would get out and it wouldn't be cut too much. I didn't think he'd be able to get out in six seconds. Um, and yeah, I mean, he does a really You'd think Go ahead.
0: Yeah. No, I mean I would say like you'd think Martinez would at the least put in Something from top that he knows that he, okay, this might be like this might not be my strongest ride here, but I'm at least gonna get ten seconds out of this. Yeah, he um and like get rid of the riding. Martinez time. has
1: been fantastic for two years with with mat returns and with a minute and one second to go of riding time left, he throws in a mat return and Chenzo is able to hook the leg, he throws his left leg back, you'll see and hook Martinez's left leg to keep from getting returned and release and he's able to get out with a minute of riding time, which makes it six five and the riding time still intact. Which, which is really important at that point because a stall warning, even if Chenzo's worn twice down the stretch, he could still win on riding time. At which point you, you kind yeah. of see, I, I, one of the things I mentioned to you was the lefty underhook wasn't working. Um, he, he wasn't really getting too high crotch. And I think Martinez, more than anything, was a bit tired, but I don't think he's ever been in a situation with enough where he couldn't get to a position where he was comfortable and I think you you kind of saw it here where he just couldn't work to that position. You saw Ben Ben breaks it down. He takes a low shot, gets up to double-unders. From double-unders for Martinez, there's not... I mean, unless he's going to bear hug him and lift him, there's not too much he can he, he can do. He went with a little outside trip, and it, it was immediately blocked. But then you're leaving yourself in a position with, with Chenzo with double-overs where he's incredibly comfortable.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, we debated, I think it was the next morning about the, the match and I had, I had been a pretty big proponent of Martinez was just physically worn out and you said it was more mental out of he was out of ideas, so to speak and I think the truth there is pretty much in the middle um, he, was, he was physically worn out and mentally worn out um, but as, as I was talking about you today um, I believe it was today, maybe it was yesterday I don't know, the days went together about Martinez, because um, you were talking about how you, you, you think he he might be your pick to win it all next year, 165. I said I, I said no way. Um, I think now the book's out on him that if you're a good if you're an elite wrestler, not, listen, not in, not any kid can do this, not even any top 20 wrestler can do this, not even a top 10 wrestler can do this. But if you're a kid like a or a Joseph who have similar talent or better talent than Martinez. And, and a Jason Nolf who, who did this too against him the first time. You, you can push the pace against Martinez. Um, and you can wear him down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think it's very interesting because you have to. I don't think you can do it from behind, though. You, you have to also be able to, dic- to no. dictate the match with yeah. the early score. And that was, I think, what was big for Chenzo. Yeah, but Chenzo did well, it, though. Yeah, I mean, well, he, he, he led halfway through the match, though. You have to be—you yeah. you cannot be—I don't even think you can be 1-1 with him. We saw it with Massa in both of their matches. He was down 2-1 and pushing the pace down the stretch. But you have to make Martinez wrestle from an uncomfortable position. And I, th- I think that was kind of—really, really helped Chenzo. And again, I think Chenzo can, can beat him again. In, right now, I think it's probably 50-50 with all of them. Um, and actually, I was really close to pick, picking Masa, and I think, on—, on on Twitter, I put my, my picture next year. I think I did pick Logan Massa. Um, and that's not a slight against Chenzo. I just think the three of them are all, I mean, you put them in a round robin and I think they all beat each other. Um, But, uh, and there was an interesting point, somebody pointed out about Chenzo, or, or not Chenzo, with Martinez. Well, yeah, well, he didn't really, after trying to kind of, Uh, hit the elevator and roll through, which is what uh, Miles Martin did against Nickel when he got thrown last year, rolled him him through. After he was kind of stuck for those four, people were like, well, he didn't really fight off his back. Again, in in an ideal world, you're going to keep, you want your guy to wrestle through the period and fight off his back. It's very hard when you're down 12-6 or 12-5 and the other guy has riding time with, with 40 seconds to go in the match. I, again i don't think he quit per se but that's got to be just a really deflating position
0: well i don't know what he was i don't know what people want him to do Ch- chenzo comes down he lands on him chest to chest with his chin in on imar's adam's apple it's literally how you would draw it up in a drill how he comes down on him um, i mean martinez has no con- has no grip on anything of chenzo's it's a, i mean you're it's essentially Imar laying on the mat and Chenzo's yeah. entire body weight on top the, of him exactly where he wants The best
1: situation at. for Martinez would have been that way, even if he could kick out, was to have ended up bellied out with an eight-point yeah. deficit with 30 seconds to go in the national championship. So, again, maybe yeah, he wanted to minute, kick through, but like th- there's not really a – oh, a minute and a half. There's not really a good situation there for Martinez.
0: Right. Well, and that's even saying that Chenzo's going to let him belly out. I mean, ap- after they went down, Chenzo made some nice little moves – on the ground to make sure that he was gonna, he was gonna, uh, he, was, he was gonna stick him. He was gonna get the pin. Um, I, I don't know what people wanted to do. I mean, he came down, chest to chest on him. Um, I mean, I, uh, I don't think. And I, I mean, I'm not an IMAR fan, obviously, but I don't like. I'm not bashing his effort when he went to his back. Like, he got, he got planted. Like he got got. Like that happens.
1: Yeah, it was It was again textbook stuff from from, from Vincenzo.
0: Yeah, what a, what a rush of adrenaline, too, for Penn State fans after that match. I mean, I know you and I were, were doing our best on press row to contain ourselves. Well, um, <laughs> uh, well, we were both doing our best. I just think I might have got a little more excited than you. Um, but, I mean, it was, like, such an well, unbelievable scene. If,
1: for those of you who have not seen the video, I believe it actually might be a free video. Flo had set up a camera in in the corners um, where the teams were standing, um, kind of in the engine trap. And, and there's a video of... Jason Nolf and David Taylor, and Jake Varner, and I believe it was... It was not Casey Gang. James there. It was uh, Rutherford and one of the other coaches. One of the other coaches. um, All celebrating as this was happening and just losing their mind. And more so than Nolf did after his match. I mean, it it was a really cool sight to see.
0: I mean, it was just... I mean, because it just ended so quickly. Like, throw, bang, pin in 10 seconds. Like... I mean, it was just... uh, Incredible. Uh, people were losing their minds, um, most notably me. Um, yeah, I told Clay all weekend. All I wanted to see was Imar get just planted. Um, didn't even have to be by one of our guys, but to be by um, our son, uh, Vincenzo Joseph, um, in the national finals was like, I don't know. I mean, that was pretty, pretty perfect. If I could have like, scripted my NCAA tournament – that would have been like the like the climax of the movie.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a, really a fantastic moment and one that kind of shook the wrestling world there for a while.
0: And shook Imar. Imar not particularly happy after the match.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tough situation for anybody. I mean, obviously, a guy with I mean, everyone comes in with, with goals of being a four timer and was was very very close to to at least I mean close to being three fourths away. Um, it's a, it's a really tough situation. Um, but the momentum so bad. momentum didn't really stop there Then for Penn State, did it? Not that... I, no. I say momentum. Um, I, can, I I fall on the Christian Pyle side of this one, for those of you who listen, where I think they're kind of all independent of each other. But for a Penn State fan standpoint, it was far from over.
0: Yeah, I... I think it's kind of ridiculous that people can say it's independent events. Like, when, like when people you care about do well, like that, like releases endorphins in your brain. Like, like that, that like chemically, that's just not true. Um, but, um, I mean, Mark comes out here, um, and this is the match that we thought because I mean, a lot of people thought that Martinez would beat Chenzo. This is the match a lot of people were pointing to as the feature match of the finals. That wasn't game and Bo. Um, interesting match here. Um, Goes to the first period scoreless. Mark wins the one big scramble in the there's match. There's some
1: controversy. Um, um, yeah, well, not really. There's a lot. Of, yeah, really. there's, I mean.
0: There's not. I mean, if you watch it, it's not too. Um, it was close,
1: but it's not I think not it's two. very, um, very. I, I don't know. It's very weird because I've, I rushed to defend it, and Ohio State fans obviously are rushing the other way. So I'm trying to get it from those who don't have a horse in the race. Um, I think at least. The one thing that I will take from this match is that there is an argument to be made for an independent reviewer. The the official who makes the call should not be the official who's reviewing that same call. There's no reason for that.
0: I thought you were going to say what you took from this match is that winners win.
1: No, that, that wasn't what I was taking away from that one.
0: Oh, damn. Well, that's what I took from it.
1: But, um, so we're in a situation where Hall gets an escape, I believe, what, second period? is yeah. up one nothing. Um, Bo gets in on his shot. Uh, I believe a high cross position, which is a, a bit different for, for Jordan. And tries to double off. And we get into a scramble situation where, I, I unless you kind of watch the video, it's hard to describe. Um, Marcus sat out in a switch position with his right hand kind of in behind the knee of, of Jordan. But... He's got his left his left hand is down on the mat and his butt on the mat and it's kind of weight over the hips. It's just a matter of whether Jordan had control, which I, I think it's debatable. I, I really do. Uh, I think had it been called too, I wouldn't have had I, I wouldn't have felt hard done by. Um, but one of the other issues with the, with the review system is that if you review and overturn a call, it goes back to when the call is made rather than yeah. letting the action roll through. What had happened after was no two was given for Jordan. Mark hits a switch and it's two nothing. And they give the takedown to Hall before Bo escapes and makes it two one. If you were able to call that.
0: No, well, no, Bo never escaped. It was, it was, um, wait, no, cause didn't.
1: Yeah. Jordan to escapes to, to end the period. They end the period three one, and it's three two. Start the third when when Jordan gets out.
0: I thought.
1: Um, okay,
0: but had you been able? I thought Mark wrote about no. Yeah, no, that was Chenzo in the match before that had that big ride at the end of the had period. Had you been able yeah. to
1: score that? I don't think Chenzo had a ride out either. He has had two takedowns. No, someone did. Um, someone Had did. you been able to score that with two and two? with Jordan take that giving Jordan takedown and then let them wrestle through and score it two and two with the reversal, I think you may have been more likely to see a different call there.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I agree with that. Um, I mean, I don't know. It was uh it was a close call, but I mean here's the thing though, like there's still rest like I think I think this has to be taken into account of who deserved to win the match. So they're still resting through the position. And Bojo isn't granted two, and then Mark ends up winning the like winning the scramble. Yeah, well,
1: I think the the argument that can be made, and I think it's a fair argument, um, is that if the two's awarded, it may change how the rea- how, how both wrestlers react. You may see Hall belly out. Yeah. Um, but I, I will add that we go into the third period with, with Hall up two, three, three one. Then at that point, uh, Jordan gets an escape three two, has an entire period and. Uh, to to push for another takedown and isn't able to get one. Um, I actually thought Hall got hit with a stall warning early in the first. I thought for sure there was a second one coming with about 20 seconds to go. But right before I would have made the call, or the call I think would have come, um, Hall is able to score a blast double and rides out that to to pick up a 5-2 win. Yeah, well,
0: I think what helped Mark on the stall ice he was making a good effort. I mean, he wasn't doing much. I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, he was – Really looking to score points, but um, he was holding the center of the mat well, which is good.
1: Yeah, it's just it's a matter of how how you decide it. Um, freestyle, I don't think he would have been put on the shot clock because he was again was kind of in, on that inside circle. But I think had he not scored that double, or not even taken a deep double, I think in the next five seconds you were probably looking at a second stall call.
0: Yeah, which I think he probably knew that, which is why he probably shot. Yeah, I don't know. I if mean, he expected yeah, it, I, I think the,
1: he probably knew that he needed to do something in those last twenty seconds, yeah. where he was going to be uh, hit with the stall and we were going go to go overtime. But again, finishes the, the, the blast double pretty cleanly um, and to pick up the five-two victory. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, Mark wins. Um, I'm not surprised. I said it. The first show all the way back when we were previewing the whole season that if Mark wrestled this season, took the red shirt off, he'd definitely win the NCAA title and be a four-timer, and I never wavered from that position once. Um, I don't know, because hashtag winners win. Clay, thoughts on uh, winners win? Yeah, it's wrong.
1: Um, Mark, Good for Mark.
0: Well, okay. Fair enough. Uh, but Mark does win here uh, Clay took us like 80 years To get a first freshman national champion It takes us like 20 minutes to get the second uh, So that was cool
1: Yeah, um, really nice to see those two go back to back There was an interesting argument On one of the other podcasts that I listened to Has Mark Hall turned heel uh, gives, gives a little fun pose at the end um, After winning the national title Again, I think people are probably overreacting Wrestling is meant to be fun um I didn't think it was disrespectful in any way and I don't think it hurt anybody. People need to relax a little bit.
0: Yeah, especially since the crowd is giving him a lot of crap too. I can't play I mean, it's whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that wasn't that big of a deal. Um, so yeah, Mark wins and now we're at four for four clay. And um now Penn State set their own record for the most national champions in a single season. And the thought going through both of our heads is, please don't lose Bo.
1: Yeah, after watching last year, I think we all kind of, we needed this win for Bo Nickel. I think every Penn State fan that was watching wanted this win as much as Bo himself probably wanted it.
0: Yeah, I mean, especially since, like, oh, it would have been so bad if, like, he, like, if he'd have lost and, like, it wouldn't in been 5-for-5 five five and, then like, he loses again and it's like, Everything, like I felt like the whole vibe would have been like off and like this great, amazing tournament that we had would have like been left a sour taste in all of our mouths. Like, I was just like, please, Bo, please just win. Yeah, and
1: again, this was the last match of the night up at 184 against two-time defending champ Gabe Dean and I think it showed why it was the, was the match of the night. It was fantastic. A uh, 4-3 to win for Nickel. Um, another one where it would have been interesting to see had uh, Cornell had... Had to review what would have happened. Um, Nickel, or Dean was in deep on a couple takedowns. Uh, Nickel got one uh, one return, which was tight. But um, a really, really fantastic match between these two.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, this match was kind of boring. Not in the fireworks, that some people thought of well, me. I didn't think so. Um, some people, not you. I wasn't saying you. Some people thought we'd see some cool stuff. I didn't either. But... Bo wrestled a smart well, match. Well, no, I didn't think
1: the match was no. boring. I thought it was a pretty fantastic match.
0: Oh, well, a lot of people um, did. Well,
1: they're uh, wrong and probably should get a better idea of what they're watching.
0: Well, I don't disagree. Um, but listen, Bo wrestled a smart match, and he's yet to lose in college when he's wrestled a smart match. Um, and that continues. I mean, Gabe, Gabe's a great talent. and uh, I, think it was, I think it was the Friday night show um, Clay and I recorded after the semifinals. We had that long debate over Gabe. And Bo and I, I, I was pretty adamant that I didn't think if Bo wrestled a good match, a smart match, that he could lose to Gabe. Um, and, and that happened. I mean, I was—it's just a one-off. So it's like my theory is like forever confirmed, that is now scientific law. But I mean, I, I just think Bo is, is is slightly the better wrestler than Gabe, um, especially when Bo is wrestling like an intelligent human being. Um. And that's what Bo did for five matches in this tournament. That's what he needed to do for five matches in this tournament. And it really paid off.
1: There was interesting, um, obviously, the the takedown that, that Bo had on the edge was not originally given and reviewed, and he was given the two. Uh, got the leg in, so, I, again, that's probably a bit contentious, but I, I would have definitely given the two there. Um, but there was one later where Dean had take what looked like a takedown on the edge, waved off, um, ruling they were out of balance, and wanted to challenge and Cornell actually didn't have a challenge left, which I was learning now, which is funny because you get three, I believe, for the tournament, and they had one that they'd reviewed in the semifinal between Dylan Palacio and Joey LaValle, where Palacio was not given back points. And going back to it, I'm really not sure how 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 the call wasn't overturned, how he didn't get the back points. It really would have probably been nice for Cornell to at least be able to review that last takedown. But again, you're... You, the hard you dealt um Bo did a really good job of fending off a scramble in the last 30 seconds um we talked about it earlier with the Matt side cam Flo had one on on Mark Hall where he's like nearly grinding his teeth telling Bo to keep locked through the crotch and to keep the ankle and it was really really intense last 30 seconds of that match
0: yeah well in like the last 20 seconds there's like that one last real uh, flurry there where it looks like where Dean gets his head up um kind of clears the crotch lock, um, and you're like, oh, he's going to score this. But then Bo gets that ankle and uh, hangs on to it like the Hamburglar for the last Big Mac. <laughs> um, um, I mean, that's really like I mean, he would, like that leg was everything to him. And as yeah, you should have I, been, but like, that leg was the most the, important life. That's like in, a, in a, death, life was a death grip leg. there that
1: the, the Bo Nickel probably had on that ankle
0: yeah i mean I, I would be surprised if it like, could cut off circulation of the ankle like that he was he was not letting go of that ankle
1: Yeah, but a um, uh, really nice way that ended um and I think it was funny you I was sitting in after after each of the matches, and Cale Sanderson comes into the press conference and goes, i think after every last year every year that we've won one of these, we had one guy that, that loses in the finals and you're so used to being worried about the one guy and making sure that they're all right, that you you really don't get a chance to take it all in. I think this year it was kind of nice to see a culmination of everything kind of come together.
0: Yeah, because I'm trying to think. In 2011, David lost. In 2012, Frank lost. Yes. In 2013, David lost again. In 2014, David and Nico. In 2014, Nico lost. And then in 2016, um... Uh, Jason, Bo, and Morgan lose, um, in the finals. Um, so yeah, I mean, five wins in a row. I mean, I mean, it's just, I mean, uh, I think the most, op- I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, uh, you- to win five weight classes in a row, um, I mean, that's, I mean, it's literally unheard of in the fact that it's never been done before, um, it might, n- it might never be done again, um. To do it with a junior, two sophomores, and two freshmen is even better. To do it when you had to beat two two-time NCAA champions, um, to do it is even more special. I mean, there's just so many things you could say um, about what went on Saturday night. It was really a blur, uh, dream come true um, from the start of Zane's match to the end of Bo's match uh, for Penn State. Uh, it was really... It was kind of it was almost got kind of the point where it's like an out of body experience where things just like kept going right, and you're like you're just waiting for something to go like terribly wrong, and, and nothing ever went terribly wrong.
1: Yeah, we had mentioned throughout the three day stretch that if you could have scripted things, that, that this would be probably help Penn State coaches would have scripted, it, and that continued right up until the finals. Um, yeah, it never changed. It, it was just a, a really fantastic performance, and I think the scary thing you kind of touched on is what what Penn State has coming back. Um, only graduating Jimmy Goloban um, could have Nick Lee in the lab next year at 141 they're they're definitely going to have Nick Soriano back who I think many will think might be a prohibitive favorite to start the year Um, you're just looking at a really really special era which we touched on in previous years for Penn State and it doesn't look like it's slowing down anytime soon particularly into the future um, to make a quick transition here Well, I
0: I mean, before we transition, there's a couple things I want to note still about Friday night. Um, You know, the the biggest, the two big things. First of all, um, if you take the finals as a dual meet, um, the 10 finals matches, Penn State wins the dual meet against the rest of the country, 21.5 to 15. That's cool. And the second thing is we had talked about on a podcast earlier, like in that sweet spot when Mark's red shirt was off and Suriano was still healthy, about, hey, maybe this team could could find itself – right there with Iowa's 170-point record. And it turns out that had Soriano been able to go, um, Penn State would have been – or had he been healthy and ready to go completely, Penn State would have been right there at the 170 mark, which is inflated because of the scoring changes um, that have come into place that have lessened team scores now. I mean, it's a very good argument that this was the best um, tournament performance in the history of the sport for one team.
1: Yeah, you end up with, with, I believe it was 142 or 142.5. One forty six and 146 a half. and and a half. So, Suriano, you're probably looking, I think it's safe to, I, again, I don't think, it, I don't want to declare anybody a champion. I just think that's a bad idea. But I will give him champion placement points if we include bonus. So, if you set the over-under at 20 points there, you're looking at 166 and a half and you're definitely within spitting distance and reasonable. And that's no bonus. Reasonable distance. That's no bonus. Yeah, well, that I'm including bonus yeah. in, in the points. Con, the, well, that way, if he doesn't champion,
0: well, a champion the least you can score is twenty. Yeah, so I know.
1: I'm not. I'm saying I'm not saying he's a guaranteed okay. champion. I don't. I don't think yeah, it's okay, fair yeah. to to say that if he wrestles, yeah, he's okay. absolutely going to win the tournament.
0: Yeah. Okay. I got you now. Yeah. But I mean, so you're right there. So you're at the point where if he does get some bonus, then you like you kind of like you're you're right there um, at it, and like I mean, you're really close. I mean, it was. I mean, Petsy goes thirty-five and six. Um, For the tournament, Um, something like insane, like 21 bonus point wins in the championship bracket, which, like, that's absurd. Um, I mean, it just kept rolling. It never slowed down. It didn't slow down until the very end. I mean, till I mean, it's over.
1: Yeah, it was just a really remarkable tournament performance, and it's going to be interesting to see whether they can top that in coming years, because they sure as heck don't lose much.
0: No, I mean, the expectations are so high right now. Defensive going forward. I mean, that's fine. I mean, I think the program embraces high expectations, and you, you don't get high expectations without prior success. Um, but I mean, um, you know, people and rightfully so, are talking about you know six champs next year, and the points record, and ten All-Americans, ten in the top five, and all this stuff, and it's all very attainable. But it's crazy that um, it's crazy that it is attainable. It's crazy that it's not a pipe dream. Um, that in this day and age, someone has built a dynasty that's strong.
1: Yeah, I think it just speaks to kind of a little bit of um, an approach from the coaching staff. They're also in in a very good geographical area. Um, They seem to be ahead of the curve with with wrestling, with recruiting and with with coaching style, whereas other schools or other sports that have kind of come and done this within the last 10, 15 years. Um, it's more of a lax atmosphere. Not to say that they don't work hard, but it, it, it's not. Well, there was a quote. I believe it was Friday night or, or Saturday night. Dan Gable was on TV, and they asked. They kept talking about Penn State, saying that wrestling is fun. The wrestlers are having fun. They said, and Dan Gable goes, "Well, is wrestling fun? I don't really know." And he kind of gets a bit of a funny look from from Billy Baldwin. I believe Gable Stevenson was sitting there, and I kind of think that. That approach is what's holding some teams back, that, that you can't enjoy the sport while also working hard. And I think that – but, I mean, you see it – I think you also see it in Ohio State. You look at their wrestlers and look at a guy like Kyle Snyder and Miles Martin, that, that not only are they working hard, but they're enjoying themselves in the process. And I think that really helps not only in the recruiting, but in keeping guys fresh throughout the year and keeping guys heads up and moving forward.
0: I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, um, I think right after Gable d- t- does that interview, like, m- minutes later, like, Sammy Brooks is on his back and Bo Nick was about to pin him. So it was, like, kind of funny. Um, and I liked Dan Gable, but I just thought it was kind of funny. Um, and then, like, Bo gives that really cheesy, like, thumbs-up thing that he does. Um, I mean, I this weekend, I, I've thought a lot about this fun thing because um, – so other programs, namely Iowa, hate it so much that, and they were getting really annoyed this weekend that ESPN was talking about it so much that Penn State just likes to score points and have fun, blah 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 blah. But here's the thing: if you can get your guys relaxed in big matches and not and take the pressure off, they're going to perform better. I mean that. I mean that's just how. I mean. You know, if you're going out there relaxed and having fun, and the other wrestler's tight, you're going to perform better. And so, Iowa wonders, you know, may, why they they have struggles Friday nights and Saturdays. Well, listen, maybe if if your life for the last six months has been so incredibly miserable, but you're working towards one thing, which is an NCAA championship, that's supposed to redeem all of the miserableness you've been through. Then you're going to probably put a lot of pressure on yourself to redeem the miserable, like the miserableness, like. If you're Penn State and like you enjoyed the last six months, like sure you want to win, and listen we're competitive as anyone, but like it's not the end of the world. Like like you didn't like you didn't kill yourself for this. Like you you enjoyed it and you had fun. There with was people that you love qu- doing a sport. There was college.
1: a quote post match from Bo Nickel after he had won and after Kale Sanderson cleared it out, and he said talking about last year's loss, he said it stunk, but I was going to keep wrestling my style. And I know you you and I have talked sometimes about. Bo switching it up and wrestling a bit more safe. And he says, well, I feel like if you go out there and re- wrestle your style and lose, you haven't really lost. Um, but as long as you're maintaining that and enjoying what you're doing, you're going to you're gonna come out on top. And I think that really helps, especially coming back from something like that, where Bo was confident enough that he was going to get back on, on the horse and keep doing what he was doing. And it just leads... Uh, I think it leads to guys willing to put more time in. Uh, I think... It makes them wrestle maybe a little bit more loose. Uh, I think you may see them try more things, which expands your arsenal. I just use, again, Penn State's not the only program they're doing. Their programs are coming around. But it, it's not. It's a very taboo thing in wrestling to, to not be 150% intense all the time.
0: Yeah. I mean, kind of like the thing I remember, I mean, when I got to the arena on Wednesday, I got there. Penn State was finishing up their, their workout. And they're, they're playing Duck, Duck, Goose, like, on the mats of the NCAA tournament. And, like, here over here you have, like, Terry Brandt and Thomas Gilman, like, doing, like, a pretty intense workout. All these other teams. And, like, Penn State's sitting over here. They're playing Duck, Duck, Goose. And, again,
1: it's not – it, one, you can't do this with everybody. I, I mean, the key no. to winning national titles isn't just, like, sitting back and enjoying yourself. And, two, it's not like these guys, like – this is not what they're doing twenty four seven. They are drilling and working no. hard, but it gives you. It, it, if you can come to work every day and enjoy what you do, it makes work that much more easy.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not saying duck duck goose is the key. I'm just saying, like, you would never, you would never ever catch a Iowa team playing duck duck goose ever.
1: Yeah, I, like, it, it's very interesting to see that that shift kind of into. And it might be an age thing. I mean, and, and not that Terry and Tom are that much older than Cale Sanderson, but Cale seems to have, and Tom Ryan as well to an extent, seem to have realized kind of they have shifted with the times.
0: I think part of the problem is, and you compare um, you compare the Brands Brothers to Tom and Cales, I think Cale and Tom have been exposed to more wrestling philosophies in their lives, whereas the Brands Brothers... They grew up in Iowa, they watched Iowa wrestling, they went to Iowa, they won at Iowa, they trained in Iowa for the Olympics, and then they left for a couple years to coach, but then they, 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 their style they coached was Iowa. I mean, they've never seen anything else, and Kale has been around the block more, um, he's seen more stuff, same with Tom Ryan. Um, and they re- I, I think they have a better like, grasp of that. Maybe what, maybe what I think is best practice isn't necessarily best practice, just because I think it.
1: Yeah, and again, it's so much of wrestling is is uh, not that recruiting ensures anything, but getting a number of elite guys in your room, and it's got, I gotta imagine it's a much easier sell when you you see guys coming off the mat and they're just saying, yeah, I just enjoyed myself, and obviously it's easy to enjoy yourself when you're winning, but but you, you talk to guys who don't win national championships and they're like, yeah, we just have a good time in the room.
0: Yeah, I mean. I think like what bothers me a lot is that a lot of people, especially Iowa fans, will say that the fun thing is just like BS. That well, of course you're winning, you're having fun, but like, it just shows such a lack of understanding and a lack of forethought. Like that, yeah, sure, fu- winning is fun, but that's not the only place they're deriving fun from. You know, they're having fun being around each other, being in the room with each other, doing various things with each other, being competitive with each other. Um, you know, the atmosphere of fun it's helping somewhere. Something's like I'm staring at the Penn State Wrestling Club dot org website right now and it has six national championship banners at the top of it and they're all in the last seven years. So like something is happening here and it's not just bringing in top talent. Other people like look at Vincenzo Joseph, sure he's a five star recruit, he's top ten. But he was top ten. There are also other how many other top there were I don't think anybody would have been predicting class.
1: Vincenzo Joseph 12 months ago to be a a redshirt freshman national champion. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's good, but he wasn't like – he wasn't Kyle Snyder coming in. Can't miss. You know, I mean – and yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Clay. I don't think anyone else in this class has won a national championship yet. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm almost positive. I don't believe so. So, I mean – I mean – oh, no, Miles Martin did last year. So, that's one. Miles Martin did. But, I mean, like – so, a people are getting better in our room. It's not just talent, um, because if it was talent, Chenzo would have finished right where his talent was, which, you know, was like third, second, third, fourth in the weight class, whatever. Um, and the fun, like the atmosphere, is helping. It's helping somewhere. It's helping recruiting. It's helping in the room. It's helping somewhere. It, it should not just be dismissed. Um, and listen, Iowa fans and Iowa program can keep dismissing it. But here's the bottom line. The more they dismiss it, like the farther behind they're going to fall. Because not only has Ohio State caught on, but Oklahoma State's going to start catching on, and Missouri's going to start catching on. You know, and Rutgers is going to start catching on. They're a fully funded program in a, in a in a very uh, fruitful recruiting area. Uh, Cornell's going to start catching on. All these other places are going to start catching on. Uh, Minnesota's going to catch on, and they're going to pass Iowa.
1: It's going to be very interesting to see. How how things play out in the future because you're gonna see kids, you're gonna see elite kids go to Iowa. I mean, they're they're sure. not. Again, I don't think it's like a Stone Age thing. Like you can you can win at Iowa, as Corey yeah. Clark just showed. Um, and there are kids like that in Iowa. I mean, I like look at a, a Sammy Brooks. Um, but I, I think as a whole the wrestling world, and we'll kind of talk. Uh, I want to transition here to recruiting. We're about an hour 20 in. You, you look at the world of recruiting, and I think right now people's eyes are being open to kind of how that plays in the 21st century. I think the wrestling world is just 10 or 15 years behind some some other sports and some aspects.
0: Yeah, and then one more quick thought on just national, just to wrap it up. And we're going to... Uh, This is a good bridge too because we're going to talk about the future and the future looks so bright for Penn State. But I think it's important, and I made a real point about this this weekend with Clay. And I think at times Clay was like, you know, why are you like like you know enjoying this so much? We expected it, and yeah, we expected it. But I mean, it could be over in a flash. I mean, it could be. I mean, all of this could be over tomorrow. Like something can happen, and everything could be done tomorrow. So I, I think it's important for fans to appreciate what's happening because a) it won't last forever, and b) it could be over tomorrow. Like it could, listen, who knows? It could something, last forever. I mean, something could happen. It it's not going to last forever, it's not going to be a 1000 years down the road and we're still doing this. I mean, and even even, even if you think it might last for the next 30 years, and it very well might, but it also could end tomorrow. And so I think it's just a point for all of us to enjoy and and not always be looking so far ahead. You know, I mean, what this team did was so special. You know, let's focus. You know, let's give some attention to what this team did instead of just always looking forward to the next. Because you know, the whole point of winning is that you derive enjoyment from it. And so we have to make sure we keep deriving
1: some enjoyment from winning. Yeah. I, I, again, I don't think anybody. I think what this team did is remarkable, and I don't think it'll be overlooked. Um, I just think it all kind of compounds on itself, um, especially when you get into. What happened a couple days later with, with Gavin Teasdale?
0: Yeah, um, Gavin Teasdale, the number two pound recruit in the country in the class of 2018, which would be this year's current high school juniors. According to Flow Wrestling, uh, he flips his commitment from Iowa, where he famously committed there uh, about uh, 11 months ago with Spencer Lee and um, a video on Flow Wrestling to Iowa, um, has decided he no longer is going to wrestle for Iowa, he's going to wrestle for Penn State. Um, a surprise to many, not a surprise to you and I, Clay.
1: Yeah, there were some whispers out there for a little while. Um, you could both read between the lines. Again, I don't think – don't follow recruits on Twitter. It's very weird. Don't tweet at recruits. It's also very weird.
0: No, you can follow them on Twitter. I, I, That's fine. You just, don't tweet at them. Don't tweet at them.
1: Um, caring is creepy. <laughs> um, but you kind of – Looked around, and if he talks to the right people, um, you, you felt that Gavin might might be more inclined to come to Penn State. He's very good friends with Vincenzo Joseph and Jason Nolf. I believe Nolf was in his corner for um, the last two's Number One event. Mark Hall was down there at the PAAA state title or state championships with him. Um, so you can, you can kind of see it coming. Um, it's just another guy, another kid from PA, three-time state champion, um, I believe a, a two-time Fargo All-American, uh, one-time Fargo champ, uh, projects to 133, 141, but a really, really big flip for, for Penn State. And it sparked some, some interesting talk among the wrestling community.
0: Yeah, a lot of mad people. A lot of people more mad than they were, like when Penn State actually won something. Yeah, and I
1: don't think it's, it was Saturday. even mad over. The, it was specific. I think there were some that were mad that it was specifically Penn State, but the recruit commitments and flips, early, early commitments, are not a, a usual thing in the wrestling world. It's just until the last couple of years, it's it, it yeah. not been a thing. And recruit flips and until the last five years were just were almost unheard of. Um. So there was a lot of people you look at, at Jordan Burroughs, um, Adam Tierpelli, the coach at Clovis, who's coaching Seth Nevels, and his coach the Reston Nevels brothers, Scott Green up at Wyoming, Sen, Sem, MPA, kind of questioning kids making early commitments, kids flipping. Here's my point. Kids, and I will say this because there could well be a flip going out of Penn State, which we'll touch on in a couple of years, these kids need to do what's right for them. And because I guarantee you the programs are doing what's right for the programs. Um, whether that be committing early, whether that be flipping, whether that be waiting till the end. Especially elite kids. You have all the leverage in, in this scenario because, because nobody's turning a Gavin Teasdale down. If he wants to commit early and feels he wants to hold a spot be, because nobody's kicking him out, then, then he needs to commit early. If he wants to flip, he needs to flip. But what these kids can't do, because these coaches sure haven't, is let, them be, let themselves be a pawn and be influenced by coaches saying, hey, you can't do this, this is your word, or well, now you're going to look like this and don't go to that school. These kids need to sit down, and whether it takes two or three trials, tries, that's fine, and figure out what's going to be the best situation for them for four years and then for 40 years or so afterwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, you go like to the coaches and the trust thing. I mean, and I'm not just picking on Tom Brands here. Kale Sanderson did the same thing, certainly. But I mean, it's coaches can't really be hypoc, hypocrit- or coaches are hypocritical, are hypocritical about this. But shouldn't be that like, oh, you know, you gave your word. Well, you know, coaches sign contracts too, and they leave places. Yeah, and, um, and that's fine. Like, I, I get it. I, I'm not, I'm not like saying you should never leave as a coach. Like you got to do what's best for you. But you, you can't come back and be like, well, you said. I mean, that, that's not Look how it, it works.
1: With, and, and I'm going to talk about Penn State fan, or first, just to clarify that this is not an anti Iowa thing. Penn State had Thomas Haynes committed three years ago as their heavyweight, and Nick Nevels decided he wanted to come in and wrestle at Penn State. He was a was high rated prospect at the time, and Thomas Haynes has left the spot at Penn State. So this is not, I mean, coaches are looking after their, their programs and themselves. Yeah, you look at Iowa, who had Justin Mejia of Clovis and Jason Renteria of Illinois, I believe, committed before they took commitments from Spencer Lee and Gavin Teasdale, who now look like, or I mean, at that point looked like they were going to Iowa and looked like Mejia and Renteria were kind of left with either less money or without a spot. Um, Roman Bravo-Young, who we're going to transition to here briefly, was projected to 133-141 in 2018, with with Teasdale, it um, was the number three overall recruit right behind him. Now I was kind of thinking, well, where does that leave me? These kids need to be concerned with themselves. There's there's nothing wrong with with being selfish as as long as you feel that. I mean, even if you feel it's unfair, I think I think pl- these kids should look out for themselves. But these coaches are certainly looking out for themselves first and their programs first. So there's no reason the coach the, the kids should not be.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just hypocritical. I mean, listen, there's big money in this sport. Penn State sells out every weekend. Iowa can get 13000 people into a duel meet. This isn't, I mean, you know, there's TV money at play here. I mean, it, I mean, coaches are making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, you know, the people who pay Kale's salary want him to do what's best for the Penn State wrestling program. I mean, if that means that he, he's recruiting kids... Still, they have verbal commitments. It's just a verbal commitment. And listen, I would expect Tom Brands to be doing the same thing to our commits. I mean, you shouldn't stop. I mean, that like, that's not very good. Um, you know, don't stop to that names on the dotted line. You're not breaking any rules. It's not immoral. Um, people people can change their mind in, in in society. I mean, people you know say, oh, you know, why is he recruiting someone that's still uh, or that had a commitment other places? That's ridiculous. I mean, I. These people have no clue what goes on in other sports and the kind of stuff. I mean, if these people are appalled by this, a relatively straightforward flip where a kid um, commits, has second thoughts, takes a bunch of visits to the one school, and decides well ahead of signing day, mind you, he was not really screwing Iowa here. They have a, they have a year to, to fill a spot, that he's going to somewhere else. And they're appalled by this. I mean, they have no clue what it's like in football or basketball. Um, you know. On this. I mean, I mean, I mean, this isn't like what happened. Nothing is wrong with what happened.
1: Look, sometimes I take out frozen hamburger to the frost for dinner and then decide that I want grilled cheese. People change their minds. It, it happens. And when it's maybe one of the bigger decisions of your life, you should absolutely reserve the right to change your mind. Speaking yeah, I, I don't see of that mind. point, what does this mean for Roman Bravo Young? Or what do you think this means for Roman Bravo Young, who was previously committed to Penn State and as of now, it's still committed, but but it shouldn't, in my opinion, it shouldn't change anything. As I think they both project to 133 and 141, and you could see them go, each of them go either or. However, there is a limitation on money available, and this may change the offer that's available to Bravo Young.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, whether it should or shouldn't change anything doesn't really matter because it's whether it is or isn't. <laughs> I do see it changing something. At least as of right now, things could change and in the next hour. He could reaffirm his commitment to Penn State and post a south with Kale Sanderson. I, I do see him going other. I do see him going somewhere else. Um, I think you're talking about a kid who the scholarship money is going to really matter for, and he's coming from out of state, Arizona. So it's even going to be more expensive to go to Penn State, especially when you think of Penn State's high cost of tuition. Whereas he can go to Minnesota and he can probably get a full ride to Minnesota. Um, you know, it, he. He can stay in-state, Arizona State, and do the same thing, you know, get, get, a, get a full ride there. So, um, you know, I don't see him sticking with Penn State. I hope he does. I really like Robert, Robert Young, and I might like him more as a prospect than Gavin Teasdale, to be, to be honest. But um, I, 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 I don't see him staying.
1: Yeah, um, it's something to monitor over the next couple weeks or months or even days. I mean, I mean things can happen, change fast in recruiting. Right now, for the 2018 class, Penn State has commitments from Teasdale, who's number two overall, Bravo Young, who's number three overall, uh, number five overall, in Travis Whitlake Jr. out of Oregon, who's so, he's five. I thought it was four. Oh, he might. Be, yeah, he's four overall. Um, he's four, five so. is Michael Beard, who's heading Northwestern. Um, then you're looking at a potential commitment from number ten overall in Seth Neville, who so I think a lot of people. Think nothing set in stone, commitment. Um, but but might look to follow in his brother's footsteps. And then you're looking at Joe Lee, who's who's lower down in that class at uh, 152 right now. So again, there is a finite amount of resources, um, and I definitely think you might see Bravo Young look to go elsewhere. Um, I know, in addition to not to cut you off there, there's a lot of people that think. Um, actually, not a lot of people think. As of now, the plan is for Penn State to take in uh, Mason Manville, who's a top five overall recruit in 2017, deferred a year. I know there's um, still some moving parts there, so uh, I think that's definitely a situation to monitor.
0: Yeah, well, I think you uh, you didn't mention Gavin Hoffman either, who when you look at Penn State's roster makeup has to be a a high priority for Penn State since he's a true 197. That's kind of what they've been lacking the last couple years in recruiting. Um, and he's obviously a 5 star 2 Number 12 overall pound for pound kid In um, that class just won a second PA, uh, PA state title um, So I mean you know, That's another kid I mean Penn State's looking at possibly 2, 3, 4, 10, and 12 in this class um, Which is uh, some kind of monster
1: Yeah it's, there's A lot of depth building there and Again I think there's it, it definitely gives some validity to Bravo Young Who I don't think would be due, do, be doing Due diligence if he did not look around
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, any any recruit should be sure of their decision. Um, and if he doesn't feel like Penn State is the best for him, as I said, yeah, that's his decision. I'm not going to be mad at the kid. You know, um, he's certainly not screwing us over or anything. Uh, you know, you know, it, it, it's one thing in football for a kid to tell a coach to to, uh, to tell the coaches that he's solid, he's solid, he's solid, up until you know. Five days before signing day, where he takes a surprise visit somewhere and commits there, and now you're at sol. You know, have someone's position to fill. I mean, we're talking about kids who are, you know, uh, you know, eight months out from signing day. I mean, we pe- people really shouldn't be this bothered by it. Yeah,
1: it's definitely a situation to keep an eye on. Um, obviously, we want to welcome Gavin. Going um, to yeah, join a Gavin. number of his young gun teammates at, at Penn State and. Um, it's definitely, uh, again, I would keep an eye on the way this class progresses now that the wrestling season, or at least the high school season, is over with guys like Bravo Young, Nevels, and Gavin Hoffman.
0: Yeah, and uh, Gavin really fits the style here at Penn State really well. He's really a goer on, at neutral. He's going to go after you. Uh, going to shoot a lot. High-volume shooter. Similar game from neutral to null. Um, really good fit here for Penn State uh, and for Gavin Hoffman. Or Gavin, excuse me, Gavin Teasdale, the, uh, Gavin Hoffman, I assume will be in this class as well.
1: Yeah, it, it's going to be, uh, they're looking to put together another monster class. I know after the Ruth Taylor and, and Wright stuff, uh, a lot of people said, well, this is a once-in-a-generation a once yeah. s- set. <laughs> it's like once-in-a-generation is now coming three or four times over. But um, it's been yeah. a, a really strong week for Penn State. Um, obviously, I think we've kind of touched on everything. Uh, any additional thoughts you have heading out here?
0: yeah I mean you know I think you bring up that good point other fans said and I don't think they were wrong at the time listen I think we'd probably said the same thing too Clay. Um, you know after because Taylor and Ruth were so special you think they'll never have another Taylor and Ruth combination and then you had in Wright and Frank Monero in the class um, in the class uh, ahead of them you're like you know you'll, they'll never have a four guy punch like that and then you know they graduate and the next year Penn State takes some. Red shirts off And you know You know they have good kids But you don't really know I mean I don't know if any of us Knew that or sort of thought that Jason and Bo would be Jason and Bo Right from the start We knew they'd be Top five type of kids But they were Arguably the best kids At their weight At good weights The first year And scored a bunch of points So then you had that group um, and, then, and plus Zane dominates. So then you're like Well you know After Zane and You know Bo and uh, Noel Fleeve You know all, You know as, and, I, and I have a fan Would say We'll have great recruits And we'll be able to beat them And then you come this year And you've got two freshmen Who win a national championship You have a third freshman Nick Soriano, Who would have been right there Had he been healthy Probably You have to think the way That bracket works out Probably wins the whole thing And then that's your another group So I mean It just It just seems like Every year Every class Penn State brings in There's 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 two Roos Or there's two Taylors I mean it's incredible um, That Penn State just keeps producing These absolute bonus point freaks
1: yeah, that's it, when when people talk dynasty, it's I mean the stuff you would draw up. Um, I think you're seeing yeah you're, you're seeing other programs who are recruiting very 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 well, but at some point they they have to match a, a pace set that may not be realistically able to match. So it'll be, definitely, there's going to be some some fantastic battles in the next couple of years in recruiting.
0: Yeah, I mean, Ohio State's kind of going out with us. Like, you know, if you're looking at this like a track race, I mean, we're we're winning the race, but like they're like kind of like like they're going out like they're going out with us. But like, there's some other programs who are like, well, they're they're just gonna come back to the pack. Like, we'll wait. And the problem is, like throughout the race, like we're not fading, and we're like we're getting stronger and stronger, and. Like that's a problem if, if you're not willing to make adjustments. Yeah, Ohio State's got, um,
1: uh, I believe, Caleb Romero coming in um, from Ohio, an Ohio State champion who's played football at a pretty high level and is now going to focus on wrestling. They've got um, a Blair Academy uh, heavyweight coming in who, whose name I can uh, – Chase Singletary coming in from Blair Academy, who's the top-rated 220-pound wrestler in the country. Um I believe they, they've got some other really, really highly rated guys on the radar. I believe uh, David Carr um, from Ohio State's an option. Um, both, um, both, there's both, another Jordan both, brother both, coming both, too. Yeah, Jordan. Rocky Rocky Jordan. You're looking at Jordan Decatur and his brother. So there's a lot of talent there, and it's going to be uh, fun, fun to keep an eye on over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, for the sport, I mean, other programs need to start going with Penn State and Ohio State, too. I mean, Iowa needs to make some changes. Minnesota's made some changes. Oklahoma State needs to make a couple changes. The Oklahoma State, their landscape's a little more challenging for recruiting just yeah. because of location. But,
1: I think I it's mean, always been – I mean, well, they, you look at the kind of history of the sport, there's never yeah. been more than uh, – I think it's it's been cyclical, but there's always been like two or three teams yeah. that were kind of really ahead of the pack.
0: Yeah, but, I mean – I mean, we're getting to that danger zone here, where like Penn State and Ohio State are really just going to start separating themselves from the field in a, in a really significant way.
1: Yeah, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on in, in the coming years. Um, again, Iowa has some, some studs coming in, obviously with Spencer Lee, uh, Tristan Warner is highly rated. Uh, they'll be taking Alex Marinelli off redshirt. Uh, I think you had a couple of guys that you were mentioning. Caleb right? Young. Caleb Young's there. Caleb still Young. a couple of years of Kemmer. So again, Iowa's I going to be there. Um, but yeah. but it's going to be really interesting to watch recruiting transition over the next five years or so.
0: Yeah, but it it does not look like Penn State's going to slow down much. Um, so you know that pretty much wraps up. We had to talk about for this show. Um, we're going to hope, and we've talked preliminarily with Penn State uh, media people. In this we're going to hope soon to have some special guests um, on the show. Some some of the Penn State wrestlers um, on the show. Maybe get some coaches in here, uh, and then we have some other special guests that we'll keep secret. Um, that we're working on as well. Um, so you know, don't think just because the season's over, this podcast is going to go away. Um, certainly, for the next couple weeks, we'll be having uh, regular shows, and then um, after that, it'll kind of transition into semi-regular and irregular shows as we move into the free- the summer freestyle season and go through there. Um, but uh, you know, certainly we're not going to hibernation mode until uh, next November.
1: Yeah, again, we're, we we've got some interesting things lined up. Um, hopefully, we can bring some things together with. Penn State's S.I.D., Pat Dongai, and some some really great people we met over the weekend. Um, we're looking at probably episodes fairly regularly over the next few weeks, and then maybe looking at, at um, monthly or bi or bi-weekly episodes. Um, so anyway, stay tuned, keep an eye on, and we, we will uh, keep you guys updated.
0: Yeah, and share this podcast with your friends. Do all that fun stuff. We had great support, and... Um and uh, St. Louis, it was great meeting you guys. Uh, I know, Clay, you and I met a bunch of guys who listened to the podcast and came up to us, so that was really awesome uh, to meet some guys. That, that, that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I have nothing else to add.
1: It's just a fantastic weekend and um, really fan, uh, really fun to look back on and a, a fun future to look forward to.
0: Yeah, everything is good and nothing is bad. Uh, so uh, for Clay Sourteig... I'm Garrett Carr. This has been the Black Tree Diaries Madcast. Uh, take care, everybody. Peace out.